Hey everybody, welcome to another session here. I am super excited to have Lloyd, co-founder of Boast.ai. It's a fintech platform that automates access to government funding. Lloyd, how are things with you today? I am super pumped, man. I'm great. I'm excited to be on the product-led show. I love your hat, PLG. We're hat brothers. <laughs> yeah, for people seeing this, you're, you have your... I'm so excited to get your hat because I collect snapback hats. So we're trading hats. I'm sending you a PLG hat as well. So super, super excited about that. Before we jump in to talk about Bosetti and all the stuff, cool stuff you're doing with, with Traction as well, I'd love to just people to get to know you. And you said you're moving to Austin. Can you explain a little bit about why you're moving from San Francisco to Austin and what is the cool things happening there that you're excited about? You know, what's what's really funny is um, I have a few childhood friends in Austin. And um, last year before the pandemic hit, I was bored and I was in Austin and the houses were so cheap. So I put a down payment on a new house without even like consulting my wife. <laughs> when I say cheap, it's really, really inexpensive there at the time. And then I started like, you know, I host the traction show and every week we host two guests. And every time I'd speak to a guest on the pre-roll, they're like, Hey, guess what? I'm moving to Austin. I'm not like, this is ridiculous. I amassed a list of like 30 friends who are moving to Austin. It's just uh, different, man. Like what I found is that, you know, you need a change every time, right? Like I was an immigrant. I grew up in Kuwait. I traveled as a refugee in the Gulf War. Every seven years, I've changed places. I think I've been long enough, more than 10 years in San Francisco. And what I find is that during the pandemic, if you're doing the same thing in the same place, it gets repetitive. So I'm like, I can't stop doing the same thing. So maybe I'll change the place. We're not going to leave, leave the SF place. It'll still be there. But I think what we're going to do is spend a lot of time in Austin. I love it. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Good to culture go there. Good yeah, food. Food, music. Music. Like startup culture. Yeah, they got Everything. the vibe. Uh, South by Southwest. Like a bunch of stuff happening there that is super cool. You got two places to visit. Two places to visit now. If you come to SF, you can hang out in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I've been to SF. I actually worked there for a bit for five or six months, but I've never been to Austin. So that I'm super excited. I play guitar as well. So, I mean, it's just great blues and, and jazz and country vibes. So I'm super, super excited to visit. I'm going to take a, uh, you up on that offer for sure and uh, go visit you in Austin. Oh, well, let's jump in. I'd love to get your story around Boast.ai and Traction. What is the story behind getting that started? Because I'd just love to dig into that. And particularly for people who are tuning in, this might be really interesting to hear like the Genesis story of what you're working on. Definitely. So, you know, my co-founder and I, Alex Popa, we're best friends. We went to university together. We've known each other since we're 18. We studied software engineering at Lakehead in Thunder Bay. I guess nobody else would take me, right? Look at me. <laughs> no other university would accept me. So Lakehead took me in, in engineering. But the actual story is I didn't finish high school. Okay. And uh, I just moved from Kuwait and I didn't finish high school. I, di I bunked my uh, high school exams, board exams. And so I didn't have a high school diploma. And so I applied uh, to college and I told them like, hey, there's political unrest in Kuwait and uh, I don't have my transcript. So they made me do some entrance exams. I got in, they followed up for one semester and then they didn't follow up. But anyway, my, Alex and I met in university. We were partners in every software engineering project. Our undergrad thesis was collision avoidance on real-time objects. And our prof asked us to do our PhD in it. And we said, no, we wanted to go into industry. So after engineering, I moved to the US, worked in product and growth at a few venture-backed companies. And then Alex got into en engineering at Johnson & Johnson, built software there. He got into their engineering leadership program. After that, he did a startup 
that startup didn't work out. It was a high turnover recruiting. He felt he needed to study accounting principles. So he studied accounting and his unique combo of accounting and R&D and engineering background got him into the tax credit space, the research and development tax credits and shred credits space. And he called me and he said, man, this place is broken. This whole space is broken. Globally, hundreds of billions of dollars are given in tax credits and government funding to support businesses, but it's a manual cumbersome process it takes a long time to get the money and it's prone to frustrating audits. So why don't we automate and streamline the space? And you know what? He was my best friend. And one of the biggest reasons I joined him was there's this fundamental thing in the startup world called hustle porn. Everyone wants to work like 100 hours, right? And I, for some reason, always attract those hustle porn sort of CEOs. So the company I was working at in running growth there the founder would love to overwork people. Like I used to be in the office till nine, 10 o'clock. My wife was in residency at the time. She was a med student in residency and they work hundred hours. So I used to be in the office till nine, 10. One day I started going home at six and I get an email saying, Hey, I used to like it when you're in the office till nine or 10, what's causing you to go home at six this week. Your wife is a resident. She's working hundred hours. Anyway, my parents were visiting in town from Toronto and Alex called me around the same time, a couple hours later. And I literally, I kid you not, I cried to him. I'm like, Alex, I don't care what we work on, but if I can build the company that I want to work for, I'm in. And so like, you know, we founded the company based on this philosophy of people and culture. And really the fundamental thing is if you help your people grow and you treat them with love, they will treat your business with love and help your business grow, right? If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Fall in love with your customer and your people and make them successful beyond your product or service. So that's the philosophy we started in. And when we started, you know, our big mission was we were failed founders and we had worked for failed companies. It's like enabling innovators to become successful and change the world. Yes, we automate tax credits and government funding, but really what is the emotional benefit we provide? We enable innovators to change the world. Every dollar spent in innovation and R&D returns more than 20 to the universe from vaccines to robots to clean drinking water. But how do you make innovators become successful? They need the resources beyond just funding. So we started hosting these pizza nights every week, every two weeks, and we'd bring speakers and we'd just connect founder to founder. And those pizza nights, every time we'd see like founders bring more people and more people and more people. And then it turned into a big conference. And the first year, the conference was called something else. The community was called something else. And we had a co-organizer there who ran off with a lot of money, quarter million dollars, because it was a big conference. And then we partnered with a nonprofit launch academy, and we rebranded it, and we turned it into Traction. And today, Traction has turned into over 100,000 subscribers. And we do two webinars a week. You were on a webinar a couple of weeks ago. We do dinners in different cities. We do conferences in different cities. And every major CEO has been to our events. And I kid you not, that community-led model, we didn't call it the boast community. We called it traction. The money funnels through a nonprofit launch academy. And everything was about, this is your customer and your ideal customer profile. Your product is a means to an outcome for them. What else can you do to help them get that outcome? And that, that's the fundamental belief of community-led growth. And, and the company was founded on that philosophy. I really love that. You're talking about community and really driving them to solve a problem. And that kind of helps it build this desire to help you back. Because there's like, if you help me, I, I want to owe you back somehow and help you out. And that builds this, this circle of helping each other out, which is 
is there a particular reason why I didn't want to call it Boast Community? Is it is it because like you don't want to sound like you're selling this product or traction on its own sounds very cool? So is that is that it? Because traction is cool and people want traction. Exactly right. Like you know, our big vision is enabling innovators to change the world. We enable them by giving them access to government funding. Like our our platform identifies claims and finances government funding and tax credits, but they need the resources. If we called it the Boast community when we're doing this, you know, called it Boasters, for example, the Boasters or whatever, I feel like people would think it's a vendor community and they're going to be sold to. So we called it Traction. We partnered with Launch Academy in Vancouver. Ray Wally is a great friend of mine. And uh, like it funnels profits to them, right? And effectively, what we find is that speakers don't charge They don't ask us to pay for their flights or hotels or any of that stuff when we host events. And we get discounts on venues and everything because everyone knows that it's creating a bigger impact. I often ask people I interview, right? What would you pick if you could pick one of three? Control, impact, or money? And I find that if you pick control, you will die alone. You will be the only person there because, you know, you'll take everyone with you sometimes, right? Because when you control, you don't look at the bigger picture. People who care about money, it's great because, you know, they'll do actions that are driven by money, but sometimes they do short-term actions because they think about money and optimizing for the nth dollar today. But when you think about impact, you can't care about control or, or money. You care about impact. And I kid you not, when you care about impact, all your actions follow that impact and money will follow. You know, people often ask me, like, how do I build a community? I I gave a talk to EO on community yesterday. How does it tie to revenue? And I'm like, if you are asking the question on how community ties to revenue, do not do it. Just stop. Like there's hire an SDR team or build a product that can be product-led and you get lots and lots of users. Don't go the community route because you can't monetize the community right away. You think SEO takes long, community takes the longest. We started building the community before we even launched Boast.ai. We launched Boast.ai at Saster in 2017. We're building the community before then because community takes a long time. And if you're inauthentic, people will not come over and over again. Right now, we're doing like two webinars a week. Each webinar gets 500 to 1,000 people. We can't promote it more than once. But it's because people feel engaged that they're not being sold to, right? And so I think that was the biggest reason. The best relationships take a long time to build, and they're not driven by transaction. If you treat people like a transaction on the way in, they will treat you like a transaction on the way out. There are two things that transcend companies. One is relationships, and two is passion, right? Life and business is a marathon, is not a sprint. I love that. So much things to unpack there. I really do agree around impact. Something I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, impact, focus on that. All the other things will follow. I want to ask a little bit about that. How are you thinking about measuring impact for the people that you help? Is it the attendance? Is it through stories? Like impact sounds often like a nice word to have, but how would you measure that? Definitely. So the way we measure impact is this, right? We help companies get innovation dollars from the government. So how are we maximizing their access to these dollars? And then we provide them with the resources to become successful. So how many people are engaged and they are basically creating stories, right? Like, oh, because of you, I met my investor. Because of you, I came to an event, I met an executive. I came to an event, I raised some money. I learned this, that, and the other thing. 
we get emails on a daily basis from testimonials like i was able to unlock or achieve this and that to me is the greatest impact when people keep showing up week over week now you're in an era where everyone's gone virtual and then with everyone's gone virtual every company is doing virtual events but when you host two webinars a week or two events a week and that event is packed like 500,000 people 500 to 1000 people showing up week over week over week when when your open rates are going up when people are responding they're engaged that is you know you're creating impact when they're saying like i learned xyz for me that is the best feeling right people message me and say you're not building a company you're building a movement and it is so great to be a part of that movement when employees say that what other value of community is that we hired some very senior execs so one key point we bootstrapped to eight figures in revenue community was a big part of that then we raised our series a we met our investors through our community it's funny but like that happened then we hired we brought on some key execs one of them our cto comes from a company where she grew the team to 100 plus and that company is trading at 13 billion market cap. One of our clients and community members introduced us to her. Our CMO comes from four exits and one IPO directly from the community. I think like if you help enough people get what they want and you keep giving, 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 you'll get back, but you can't transact on it. You know, our sales team often says that, oh, you know, all the lead sources are put to sales, of course. But I'm like, why don't you one day just do a match to our community database and you'll find that the genesis of like 70% of those customers, they're in the community, basically. I love that you're also measuring that hiring is like from the community. And then are you finding that it's, I mean, you're not intentionally doing it, but the traction is actually people in part of that community is finding about both and it's helping as part of the acquisition engine. Is that what you're seeing as well with the benefit of having that community? Exactly. Exactly. You know, many of our big customers came from there. They engage, right? Because then it's like, you know, it's a very powerful statement. Fall in love with your customer and make them successful beyond your product or service. If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. And it's been my lifelong philosophy, all right? My parents came from poor background in India. My mother grew up in a slum where they didn't have their own bathroom. And she had eight siblings. And my grandfather... They lived in Mumbai and, and my grandfather, every time I'd go there, I'd see like new people staying in their house. And I'd ask, why are you doing this? And we, you know, we ourselves don't have a place to stay. And he'd be like, you know what? If you help people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And a lot of them became entrepreneurs. All my mom and her siblings, they all ended up abroad in US, Canada, UK. Everyone's doing well. And that philosophy I've seen grow in a big way, right? People know there's this, if you ever read this book called... Uh, it's by Robert Cialdini. It's called Influence. Reciprocity is a big one. Yes, if yeah. you do something for people without expecting in return, you may not get something from that person, but the collective karma will do that for you. But how do I translate karma into, <laughs> into our pirate metrics, right? Like acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral. I can't. But you know, there are some things you have conviction on, and it takes care of itself and we're a great case study for how we were able to, like how many people spend millions of dollars and raise so much funding to get to eight figures in revenue, That's right? True. They spend more than eight figures to get to eight figures. And we got there with the community. I really am connecting with this. A lot of product-led organizations, like I see product-led and community-led actually work hand-in-hand well together just because that's 
they, it just creates that feedback loop and a bunch of other things. I want to dig into particularly what you just said last around your team was able to bootstrap up to eight figures and not a lot of companies can say that they've done that. <laughs> so I want to know, are there other things, other recipes to that success that resulted? You talked about the community piece. What are other things that you, you saw uh, looking back that contributed to successfully bootstrapping both that AI so that it reached eight figures? Yeah. So one thing, you know, when you're an early founder, founders have this tendency to chase shiny objects. And then there's always this bad advice, right? My last company that failed, Speakeasy, we got to 15,000 users and we failed. And we had one of our advisors was Hiten Shah. One day he comes to the office and he's like, show me the marketing plan. And I showed him this marketing plan, which had like everything under the sun. Maybe it had like everything from community to events to viral marketing, SEO. It's like the 19 point marketing plan. And he sank in his chair and he became red in the face. And he's like, dude, burn down your freaking slides. Burn it or you're going to fail. And he's like, what is the one channel that works right now? I'm like, oh, when we do outbound emails, we get responses. But like, it's not really working. So I'm going to do this and that. And like, maybe I'll set up marketing automation. He's like, stop, invest all your time in outbound and then scale from there. So what the point I was trying to make with that was there's a key learning. You can build a big company serving one kind of customer coming through one kind of channel, getting one kind of value. There's power in that. And so when we started, we knew our customer, ideal customer profile was a founder or CEO of a growing technology innovative company. And we knew that they need more than government funding to grow. So we gave them all the resources to succeed by building this community. And we just focused on that. Now, we had a sales-led model, meaning we had BD people. Like um, I think we grew to eight figures with four salespeople. But most of our salespeople were more like community managers, man. Like if the client doesn't sign with us, we're like, okay, you know, help them with other resources. We didn't have a product-led model. My previous companies that I'm a part of were all product-led. But the thing is this, when you're bootstrapped, you got to anchor on one thing that makes it work. And we were sort of a community-led with salespeople operating like community managers. Now we're going to move into the product-led realm. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I think I'd call it reverse premium. We're going to go in the other direction and now bring them in a product-led fashion. We think product-led, but we just never had the resources. We had no CTO when we got to eight figures. We had like three developers, mostly because less than 27 people, right? So you got... And, and to build a product-led company, it takes investment and it takes time, right? It, uh, you need resources. And so what ended up happening was when we started the company, it was my co-founder doing the delivery and me doing the outbounding. And so just going out there in the community. I'd go to every event, man, every event. And then we started doing our own events and we built community through events and that sort of work. And that became our flywheel kind of thing. I love it. Really fascinating. There was no CTO of the figure who was managing the product. Like, it was it you? Was, was it the, uh... me and my co-founder? And and the thing is, this our customers want an outcome, right? They give us their data. We get them these tax credits and funding from the government. They don't want to go in and do it themselves. So businesses like that, like in accounting, in finance, and whatnot, customers want an outcome. So you can get by with not having. Like, think about it this way. You may have the best, fanciest dashboard and a great onboarding. I click, 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 and it's all like fire on ice, right? 
But if they don't get their check from the government, then they're like, who cares about all this onboarding? So our onboarding was very concierge. You give us your stuff. We'll talk to you for an hour. We'll give you the money from the government. Now we're going into product-led because we collect more data than even Carta. We're collecting tax data, IP data, accounting data, banking data, and payroll data. So now based on that data, then we can make available other insights. They can log in and we don't have these things integrated, but let's say they they log in and it's a CTO. Maybe we have a CTO focused traction workshop or an event. And then we may be like, oh, we have better insights for you. Like it's basically, you know, the big vision, enabling innovators to accelerate innovation, change the world. Today, we're taking your data and giving you tax credits. Tomorrow, it's like, maybe it's financing those tax credits, which we just started doing. And then it's like insights on accelerating innovation. And then it's the community to grow and boom, you become like the platform for innovation. So that's how I look at Mm -hmm. it. And so a lot of our effort is going to go in the product-led direction in the next few months. And it's funny, we went from no CTO to having like the most rockstar CTO. She built a team to 100 plus 13 billion market cap and like doubling revenues over nine product lines. So we went from like, (laughs) we grew up very fast when we raised money. I love it. And that's so cool. That that story around that. You're starting to get to it a little bit already about your thoughts around sales-led and product-led together. And I'm trying to purposely avoid the word versus because (laughs) people usually think product-led is anti-sales, but there's a, a middle ground that we're seeing a lot of companies like Slack, for instance, or Dropbox or just HubSpot, where the middle ground is where taking the best of both worlds is where it's at. What are your thoughts around around that? You're, you you said your boss is starting to implement a little bit of product led. Where does this two worlds like collide, intersect, or fight with each other? The sales led and product led together. I'll walk through it in terms of phases of a company, right? So when you are just starting out with an idea, like your number one job is to validate the market. Maybe get like if you're an B two B SaaS company with like say twenty thousand ACV, then it's like get. 10 to 50 people to agree to pilot with you or beta, right? I'm going to anchor on the 20,000 ACV, right? At that point, you're like, as a founder, I got to do anything, right? My growth, my go-to-market, my acquisition is anything. Let me just validate the market. Then you get to a point of product market fit, and then you have two roads here. If it's a very complex offering, then sales-led makes sense. But I think even then, product-led can enable it. We were a complex tax and compliance offering tied to government credits. They get audited and whatnot. We're in a space where customers, if you say, oh, it's product-led, they're like, how is like AI going to solve my problems and write the reports for the government? Right. So we need it to be more sales and wide-love CS-led. I think now we've gathered enough data that now we can start going in that product-led direction. And this is from my learnings building two other companies in the AI sphere. One was AI for sales, which failed, which was funded, and one was in a, got into an accelerator automatically. It was a chatbot. Is If you're building a company that's automating an archaic industry that's traditionally services, AI doesn't fly on day one where you can be 100%. You need to augment it with humans because you don't have enough data. And that's why automatically failed. We get like, Thousands of people signing up to automate customer service, but the responses weren't accurate, right? And this was 2014 when like chatbot wasn't even a thing. And then once you have enough data and historical information, then you can kick in the automation. So I think it's industry-specific complexity. I'd love every company to be product-led. If you look at it, I watched the Bessemer Cloud Index very closely. The fastest-growing companies of the last decade are all product-led, right? It gives users the option to try 
and experience your product without talking to a salesperson. I myself don't like talking to salespeople, man. I don't. Like, do you? I, I don't. Firstly, I don't answer calls. Okay, same here. I only do text messages. I don't like that whole experience, right? And that's why we built the community. We knew we have a complex offering and we knew that talking to customers, relationships are the best way to make it happen. And uh, relationships would facilitate the onboarding, right? And I loved your book and you did a great session on product-led onboarding. A lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll be like, oh, I need to improve my retention or acquisition. Well, the biggest step between a retained user and an acquired user is onboarding. If you have a shitty onboarding experience, then it's easier to get a new user than to activate a dormant user is what I found from my previous experience. So effectively, I don't look at it as sales-led versus product-led. I think the more product-led you are, the more tools you can create. And we are going in that direction to enable your users. The better your company will be, the more stickier it will be. It's just that we were in an industry that was compliant heavy, and we needed to do manual work as a necessary evil to collect years and years of data that we can automate the compliance of. But in most cases, like Speakeasy was a product-led company automatically, which failed was a product-led company. Before that, I was a ticket leap which was a ticketing platform that got acquired, that was a product-led company. And you can do a lot of cool things, right? So I feel like it all depends. But then if you look at that sphere, I said your first one year as a company is validating the market. And back then, you may or may not have something that's product-led. And as a founder, you're picking up the phone to get customers, you're doing whatever it takes. So the next phase is you need to get to product market fit. And there the measure is retention, right? And then the measure is retention. And, you know, can I sell this thing, right? And I would call it sort of your holy grail at that phase is product market fit is retention. Then the next phase is the second chapter of product market fit. You'd call it product channel fit. Can I acquire this customer through one channel? And this is where people feel they're like, they're like, okay, I got to sort of product market fit. I have like half a million to a million in revenue. Now let me go and try like 10 channels. No, your job at that series A is to scale one channel really well and get to product channel fit. Then you go to scale where it's a combination of product channel fit and then trying new things. So you're spending two thirds of your time scaling what you have, you're scaling what you have, and you're trying to nail one new thing, right? And you go multi-channel and whatnot. So I, I look at it that from phases, but you know, Paul Graham says it from YC, early startups should do things that don't scale. And sometimes what happens is if you're in a very heavy niche market that is complex, you have to start with sales-led. And if you tie AI as a crucial portion of getting the outcome, then you need to do it manually to feed it the data for a few years before it takes off. So that's really it. But if you have the opportunity to go product-led, I think there's nothing like it because it's a flywheel. You can move faster. Your company thinks differently. You think in terms of speed, right? I love that. And I'm totally with you. I mean, it depends on your customer, the complexity of your product. And I actually had an interesting chat with Hidden Shaw on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter, around like, if he had to do it again, would he start off product-led? And he said, no, most likely he start off sales-led for the very reason that the feedback loop is faster in a sales-led world where like you have to talk to customers. In the product-led world, people are easy come, easy go. They just sign up, they leave. They don't even tell you why, <laughs> which is not what you want early on, right? You really want to understand what's connecting and what's not. So I truly love your response uh, with that. You have to do things that don't scale, man, because I, I'll tell you something. When you're starting out, there is no substitute for talking to customers. There is zero substitute. And I would love to get to a point where you can just, you know, 
not talk to customers and build a company, but it doesn't work that way. And I, you know, having me having come from product led companies, I recognized the industry that we were in was so complex and people needed to build trust with you. And people don't build when you know on the other end, a failure could get you audited by the government. You want to talk to a person, right? In many cases, like, okay, you're going to get $200,000 from the government. And I'm talking to a piece of software. What if the government audits me? Is the software going to sit with me in the audit? That's when they want to talk to people and you have customer success and everything. So we sort of knew the challenges around it. And we sort of try to combat those challenges with community-led. Because effectively, what is the job of any product or company or, or service? Is to deliver a consistently delightful experience across all touch points. That's what you're trying to do with the product-led company. Now, if you can't do that, then I would effectively use community-led as a substitute to build those relationships. And that's how we used it. That's great. I truly love that. I want to start wrapping up. And one question I love asking is for people who are tuning in, for people who are trying to transition from a sales-led organization to a product-led one, what would be your advice to those folks? What would be some parting uh, words that you want to give to them? It could be anything we've talked about so far or something that we, you haven't mentioned yet at all. So yeah, what would be your advice to those people? So I think the way to think about it is figure out a piece, a valuable piece of your offering in the sales-led realm and give it away to people for free so they can start playing with it and then start using it. And then you can use that as a PQL, product qualified lead, to then drive your sales. I'll give you a couple of examples. You know Vidyard, right? Yep. Waterloo Company. Yeah. So Vidyard started as a sales-led organization. And they did the reverse premium, which is what we're doing. I had a great talk with Michael Litt last year. And one product they had was this screen recording. It was You had to buy their enterprise product to get that screen recording. They carved out that screen recording and threw it out for free. And they had lots and lots and lots and lots of people sign up for it. So carve out one piece of your product that's valuable, not some garbage piece, right? That doesn't matter. Something that's really, really valuable. Like at Speakeasy, we had, um, it was a calling app for salespeople. And we had a feature that was, call me before the meeting starts. You know how many times you're at a conference call and you forget this thing would call you before the meeting starts right? And at the time you'd get a call and you'd be invited in. So those kinds of things, pick up a delightful experience, pick up one of your delighters because every product has a delighter, right? And those delighters don't give away the whole product. There's just like hooks of delighters. Give away your delighter for free and get people playing with it. And that's the best way I feel like it's it's one good way to get people started in product led because you got to then change your thinking. You got to have the right team members who launch fast, who iterate to feedback, you need to have the right mindset. And if you go from like saying, oh, I'm sales-led, tomorrow I'm going to switch my whole company to product-led, you're going to die because you don't have the mindset. But you can take one delighter feature and put a growth person, put a UX person, and put a few developers and say, hey, take this and make it product-led and you know test it out and see how it works, right? Test small things. More people die of indigestion than starvation, man. It's better to do little things better, 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 and eventually grow than, than try to like, you know, eat Rome in one day or build Rome in one day. I love it. That is so good. I'm going to use that analogy one day while teaching. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such a good advice. Start off small and, and go from there. One final question. Where can people find out more about you and where can people find out more about Traction and Boast AI? Yeah, definitely. Go to Boast 
boast.ai forward slash events. And if you want to get in touch with me, Lloyd at boast.ai, double L-O-Y-E-D at boast.ai. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lloyd. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I want to leave you with the same quote I started with. Fall in love with your customer and make them successful beyond your product or service. If you build a community, you won't be a commodity. Love it. Thank you. Thank you.